0: This episode of the Darko Audio Podcast is strictly for adults only. Normally I do some kind of reasonably semi-professional intro, Michael. But today I'm just throwing that out the window because I've just had such a good time in the last five minutes. Whilst you've been troubleshooting your connection, I've heard and you couldn't hear me. I could hear you cussing and blinding at your computer. <laughs> I cannot repeat the words that I heard. And I figured Michael must be doing it tough in New Jersey with the snow. <laughs> but anyway, welcome back to the Darker Audio Podcast. Pod, podcast? Podcast, Michael. Um, yeah, how, how many feet of snow are you dealing with?
1: Oh, just actually, I don't even think we got quite a foot. Eight to ten inches, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the issue is uh, it's getting very slick now, so it's hard to get up and into our driveway.
0: Uh, okay. But you don't leave the house anyway, do you? It's just not really an issue, is
1: it? And that, well, our daughter has to go to work. She, oh, okay. she does have to leave the house. So, Right. Yeah.
0: right. <laughs> actually, we were going to talk about trends and... Things from 2020 today, weren't we?
1: Yeah, I I jotted a few down.
0: Well, but before we start, can I share with you a story that uh, makes me look like a dumbass, but I think is quite amusing? (laughs) Right. And I know you'll like this because it does make me look like such a dumbass.
1: <laughs> well, please share away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so yesterday, oh, no, let me wind it back. At the end of November, I, I, you know, I told you I bought an RME ADI-2 FS DAC, right? Yes. And the, the plan was to, you know, buy it, use the retailer's trial period to make the video and then send it back, which is a bit naughty, but the manufacturer's going to get a nice video out of it. So I think in the long run my karma is in the positive. Yeah. But anyway, the video got delayed, and uh, mainly because the DAC is so bloody good. So I was like, yeah, I just want to have a bit more of a play with this and that. Anyway, so we finally got around to shooting it yesterday. And just as we start to shoot, I actually had to move the DAC forward to bring it into shot properly. Hmm. And I noticed that the, the DAC sort of powered off and then powered on instantly. And I'm like, what the hell's going on there? So I'm like, I moved it again. It did it again. I thought, oh no, this is this is awful. Like, just we're literally all set up. We took an hour to set up the entire mm. room to shoot, and the DAC is faulty. And I'm I'm jiggling the um <laughs> the power the 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 power connector in the back of the unit, and as I move it, you know, the unit goes off, then on, then off, then mm. on. I'm like, oh for fuck's sake, you know, you know, I was cussing like you were a few minutes ago. <laughs> so it kind of really threw me off balance for the whole video. And right at the end, I'm like, yeah, this you know, this DAC is great, but it's got this faulty, you know, power socket input on the back. And I'm thinking all the time, you know, so much for German bloody engineering because this (laughs) is meant to be like absolutely awesome. And it is made in Germany. Mm. So this morning I, well, no, actually that was yesterday. I sent off an email to to, um, the UK distributor because he'd emailed me about this DAC a long time ago. And I thought, I'll ask him if he knows somebody I can talk to direct at RME to get this sorted quickly so we could – because we've we got to shoot a bit more B-roll, so I've got you know, the DAC sorted for the B-roll. Right. Anyway, he emails me back saying, actually, John, can you just check that you've got it pushed in properly because what the Germans have done, because they're so clever, they've made it so you have to insert it and then turn it quarter-clockwise <laughs> – to lock, to lock it in position, and I'm like, "You're fucking joking!" So I come, I come into my lounge room, and sure enough, I push it in, I turn it a quarter, and it's there, and it's rock solid, like absolutely perfectly, not moving, no on off, like it is just. It's just the joys of German engineering, and I felt I felt like such a, such a dumbass.
1: Yeah, well, the only- yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, some manufacturers. It may be rare in Germany, I'm not sure. But they go. do print these things that are called manuals. Well, funny you should mention that because
0: I made a big deal about the manual <laughs> in the um in the video because it's so it honestly, this thing is the, the most thorough manual manual I've ever ever seen. And I did read a huge chunk of it before I shot the video, but I skipped the first two pages thinking, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm set up. I've got music flowing. I'm good. So I went straight into the, um, you know, the sound quality bit and I, I skipped over the set up a new section. So that, yes. Thank you, Michael, for making me seem like twice the
1: dumbass. ass. Was one of the topics we we're going to cover today? Experience matters, or do we do that already? <laughs> we can do that.
0: Well, it does. Yeah, experience does matter, and obviously, you can never you can never measure the effectiveness of that uh, that quarter turn locking mechanism. Oh, geez. Anyway, so that's that's how my um, that's how today went. So I just thought, mm, yeah, maybe today is not going to happen for audio stuff. So anyway, so like <laughs> that's my. I guess that's sort of typical of 2020, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Shit, well, shit didn't go to plan. <laughs> well, it didn't catch on fire, so it wasn't complete. You know, a complete 2020, but it's there's kind still, of
0: there's still ten days left. It yeah. could still do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, um, I guess we can say that 2020 has been a bit of a
1: bitch. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was working on. Um, trying to write up kind of a a year in review. Um, And I was also trying to stay positive. And it was very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean...
0: I guess with the topics I've written down here, and I thought, oh, we're recording this right at the end of the year. It's only going to have a lifespan of about four days before (laughs) we're into 2021 (laughs) and no one gives a shit anymore. So I I I thought the way we could tackle this is like, yeah, we can have a grumble, but then we could hopefully turn it around and say what we'd like to see more of next year. Yeah. Right. Because that way it still is slightly future facing, even though we're
1: just Two
0: middle-aged men about to grizzle about all sorts
1: of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I re- I'm really trying to, in general, trying to stay uh, more on the positive side because it's just so, uh, I mean, I hate it. it's just so easy, uh, you know, to do the opposite.
0: It is. Yes, you're it, right. It, it's like, like that David Byrne thing, isn't it? Is it? He doesn't have a website called Reasons to be Cheerful where he's yes. pulling all these... So, sort of positive news stories from around the world, which I think is, and he started that in 2016, which I think is very, very cool. Yeah. And, and yeah, after this year, well, I think we need that kind of thing more than ever. And, and- I don't know. Like, I mean, I've seen you post on Instagram about how you miss hi-fi shows. And I've had to literally like <laughs> sit, sit on my hands, not leaving a sarcastic comment about, no, you don't. You think you do,
1: but you don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like if you, if you quit beer for a year and then you started saying, oh, I could really smash it like a, a can of Bud Light right now. Like, you're just confused. <laughs> That's what it is, right? I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. I mean, some hi-fi shows are good. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) I guess that's the biggest impact we we saw at the start of the year was all public events were stripped from the calendar.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, so I came back into the picture um, roughly in uh, September. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I actually didn't know what kind of world I'd be stepping into, obviously, Mm. you know, all things going on. You know, Mm. clearly, yeah, no shows, no direct contact with people. Uh, One thing I was very surprised to to find as time went on, as I was trying to acquire uh, review gear, was Mm. that many manufacturers I spoke to were having a hard time keeping things on the shelf.
0: Yes, the most that I spoke to, I don't want to kind of overplay it, but (laughs) they seem to be um saying that we're having a bit of a bonanza year you know like maybe that's because everybody's at home and not going out and they think well okay i'll get a decent hi-fi system to keep myself entertained
1: yeah i mean that's a story i'm sticking with because it you know it's it's simple and and it and it makes sense you know one would hope that the more time you spend doing something in general kind of the more you begin to care about the quality of the experience so to speak. Mm. So yeah, it's like all of a sudden you find like, wow, I've got hours where I used to never have hours to listen to my music. Boy, maybe I, you know, think about improving the sound.
0: Well, I guess also with more people working from home. Yeah, um, you know what I'm trying to do, and we should make maybe try and make this a rule for this podcast episode. We don't mention the c word either of them right? And I'm not talking about the C word you used before 2020, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you're from Jersey. I'm not talking about that word. I'm on about wow. the other two C words, right? I only know so- the one. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so yeah, so people, because of because of what's happened this year, you know, spending far more time at home. Um, and I, th- I mean, it's awful to kind of, is it awful to pull a positive for the hi-fi industry out of a pandemic? I, you know, I I still sort of feel a bit guilty, like we shouldn't be celebrating it. And maybe this really isn't the year to celebrate anything. I don't think I think that would be in poor taste, but I don't think the hi-fi industry has suffered as much as other industries have. Like, for example, like, like live music, right? My heart oh, sure. goes out to musicians is just, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? This is an horrific situation. Don't want to be celebrating hi-fi's gain at somebody else's expense. That's not what I'm trying to kind of single out here, but...
1: Yeah, I do. I agree. It's a very, it's a it's a touchy thing. I mean, you certainly mm-hmm. don't want to overplay it and, you know, swing from the rafters about it. No. Uh, you know, in the face of everything else, but it is what it is, <laughs> you know. Right. Just reporting the facts. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but like, because, well,
0: I, I've noticed more and more people, well, more and more musicians and I'll take David Crosby out of this because he's a lunatic. <laughs> but a lot of because of because of the um, the cancellation of all essentially all live music, more and more musicians are now looking at what they're getting from streaming services in terms of earnings. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not going to point the finger at streaming services or record labels. I'm going to point the finger maybe at where those two meet and the deals that were struck and, and have been done in the past mm-hmm. that has resulted in musicians essentially not earning very much from streaming and i think it it came to such a head in the uk there was a Hmm. there's i think parliament was hearing evidence from various musicians about you know streaming income and you know what's going on with that sort of remuneration model i don't really know what the outcome is going to be but i know um i can't remember which which really famous musician was quoted talking about it but anyway but what i'm saying is is the, the the notion that artists are not well they could not sustain themselves just through streaming income whereas in past years and i'm trying not to be old man yells at cloud in past years they have been able to sustain themselves from selling cds and before that vinyl and cassettes and things like that
1: hey and live performance yeah yeah
0: but in so in the 80s so you toured to promote your record mm-hmm. and now you have a record that promotes your tour yeah right right yeah. that's where the 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 largest amount of money comes from is from touring but yeah but that off the table i, I don't know i mean i don't know whether you have any thoughts on this
1: well oh, it's funny you know one thought i have that's a, a bit tangential but It's a a thought nonetheless, and they come by so rarely I have to grab on them. (laughs) But, um, you know, I noticed, I'm not sure if you've seen this on Instagram, but Nick Cave has a a store now Mm -hmm. uh, for things. Mm -hmm. And it's not your traditional merch. You know, it's not, you know, T-shirts and concert posters or on and on. It's very personal items, like Polaroids that he takes and then, Writes on them, signs them, pastes some words on them, mm-hmm. uh, little uh, milk pitchers that he designs, bowls. I mean, it really goes, you know, sketch pads or notepads with covers that he's designed. And, you know, I saw this and I was intrigued in a way. Uh, but one of the first thoughts that came to mind was, man, he must really, you know this must be um, a result of, of needing to replace income.
0: Maybe he's also doing it because he's got more time on his hands.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. It seems to be the case. Uh, yeah, that that point because he does talk about, you know, how he's been doing some of these things for years. He's always mm. kept sketchbooks, which I guess I was somewhat aware of. Uh, mm. But he draws all the time. Yeah, so, yeah, that creative outlet. People do, yeah, it's another aspect of this situation. People do have more time, you know, Mm. if that's your inclination, whether that be play an instrument or write, draw, you know.
0: You know, Nick Cave kind of, I will not say upset me this year. That's that's (laughs) too strong.
1: Yeah, he just never answers my calls. (laughs) That Um, bastard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, but he did that really incredible um, concert at – Alexandra Palace in London, Alexander Palace or Crystal Palace, Alexander Palace, yeah. where it was just the entire empty, empty space and just him with a piano, right? Mm-hmm. And it was live streamed and you'd pay to watch that live stream. And I didn't actually, but what I really liked about it was when they promoted, it, it was like, this is the, this is just going to happen once and you can pay to watch it. And then once it's done, it's done and it's gone forever. Right. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was great. Until like about <laughs> a month later, it's like, we're releasing this as a, you know, a Blu-ray, a DVD, uh, a vinyl and a CD. And I bought the CD mm. um, and it is quite beautiful. It's no, it's not all of it is, but I, I think it's, it's very desolate and I, I'm not sure it necessarily captures the, the size of the recording space. Mm. But I just, I thought I've got this in my hand and I really wish this just sounds stupid, but I really wish I didn't because it was meant to be this sort of ephemeral and that's the problem with the internet or with the, the modern oh, problem with the modern world. Here I go. I'm yelling X loud again. Is that, <laughs> you know, like every Robin Hitchcock said this, like everything is recorded, but nothing is remembered. Uh, yeah. Anyway, like it was, yeah, that was my tangential Nick cave thing. Um, maybe we should bring it back to, uh, <laughs> the hi-fi world <laughs> and how, you know, you miss hi-fi shows. And I know we've spoke we we've, we've both booked, um, hotels for Munich next September, and fingers crossed that runs. Um, what What is it, Michael, that you miss so much about hi-fi shows?
1: Uh, the community, really. Mm. Uh, you know, I do very much enjoy the community of hi-fi, you know, ex- at shows, which includes, you know, manufacturers, reps, colleagues, and mm. uh, readers, you know, attendees. So I, I really do miss kind of being in that environment and there's always, especially Munich. I mean, I really could rewrite each of those posts and say, I really miss Munich because <laughs> mm. <laughs> that is served by a long stretch is my favorite show. But mm-hmm. I mean, there are others I do enjoy, but um, that is, that is my favorite. But um, yeah, I miss the whole atmosphere, uh, you know, the conversation and, you know, this is a very solitary pursuit. Yes. So it is nice to get out and and talk to people. <laughs>
0: well, no, I, th- I mean you're laughing about it, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean most mm-hmm. I th- most audiophiles, I think, sit alone in a room and listen to music, and I'm not I'm not judging that. I mean, I just you know, I won't say I enjoy it more when somebody else is here because it just makes it a different experience, but. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like being able to meet people in person and discuss these things in person. And I'm stressing the in-person because we'll come to online community later. Yeah. But like in-person community is absolutely fantastic and nobody is rude or not. Not many people are rude, although I think you were witness to a, a fight one year, right? We, we, we won't say who it was, but <laughs> it was two members of the press going at it fisticuffs in Chicago, is that right? It was it,
1: Chicago. Wasn't yeah, it? it was. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing for our industry, really. And maybe I'm full to you know bring it up again, but but I guess I mentioned this because it's such a <laughs> such an anomaly, you know, within within such a small industry that you know whenever I go around Munich, it's just it's a, it's a celebration, really. I don't know. It sounds like a cliche, but it I really am. is. And yeah, and you feel you feel part of something much bigger that has momentum and is moving forward and is improving people's lives in some mild way
1: yeah absolutely uh, yeah and that's a, there's this level of excitement that exists mm-hmm. uh, shows that is uh, infectious and also you know having conversation with almost no matter who it might be you know can can lead certainly lead me to to thoughts and places i otherwise would not have come to yes 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 so you know after being uh, locked up in the barn for you know, uh, six months <laughs> a clip mm. with nothing but the mice to speak to, you know, it's nice to get mm. out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only tend to, I mean, I used to travel a lot more than I did in the past couple of years, but nowadays I would say my show schedule consists of Munich in May, although next year we will, will be September if it mm. runs then Warsaw in November. And then I'm trying to get to a Japanese show at some point, whether that's headphones or whether that's the, uh, the two-channel show that runs in November as well. I don't know, but mm. I'd like to get to one of those because just going to Japan is such a blast. But um, I- I'm I'm going to tap out of American shows probably for a while just because I d- with Munich and Warsaw on my doorstep, there's no real need for me to kind of go to the USA. Yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to Munich next year. If it runs, I really hope it does because it does – I think it kind of gives that sort of greater – sense of meaning to what we do as individuals right because the always the power of a community can be very strong if it's moving in a sort of a generally agreed direction if you know what i mean or if, mm-hmm. if there is a but I, that's not obviously not like some kind of minuted direction like you must believe in this and you must think like this but generally there is a you know everyone's trying to make people excited about what they're doing yeah you know, whichever I mean, there are so many different schools of thought with audio in all sorts of areas that
1: right. Well, that you know, that is another aspect of the sh- of attending shows that I enjoy, and that is the cast of characters. I mean, they mm. couldn't me be more broad and more interesting. Yeah, there are some special people. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean by that is uh I guess what I'm thinking of specifically is the uh you know, that, that, it's, it is getting to be kind of an old saw, but it, it's true nonetheless. You know, you could go visit, uh, you know, five rooms with five quote-unquote, you know, state-of-the-art bleeding-edge speakers, and mm. they could not be more different. Correct.
0: Yes, yes. And yes. so
1: the people that design those speakers uh, also happen to be very different from one another. Mm. You know, it all kind of fits. It's, it's, a, it's a puzzle that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, just getting to speak to these people and about their approach, about their goals, about, you know, is, c- can be fascinating, you know, enlightening.
0: Yeah. And um, what I like about that is if somebody say, for example, is making, well, let's pick, pick something that Doug Schneider from soundstage has been banging on about on Facebook for, for the last few weeks, hmm. active speakers. Okay. Now, yeah. and I, because I've seen people respond to his comments, his positive comments about active speakers as if the existence of active speakers means that passive speakers will be taken away from the people that love them. <laughs> Which is, you know, like, or oh, so if somebody's making r to r DAX, it's like, don't take my Delta Sigmas from me, you know? It, yeah. Or if some, you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, it yeah. <laughs> this, this bizarre attitude online that doesn't seem to exist in reality in, in the real world community, like where a show is a celebration of, all different kinds of approaches and no one points across the hall and goes, Oh my God, he's got a 300 B don't let him anywhere near my two a three, you know, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it's just this weird weird mentality online.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it does seem to be the case in the active speaker thing. Yeah. I did happen to see a few of those uh, posts uh, by Doug Mm. on Facebook and it, I mean, we all know that active speakers have been around <laughs> for a very long time. Yes. Uh, mostly uh, I get, you know, in the providence of pro audio, but I mean, they've certainly uh, been in, in our world as well for years and years and years. Mm. But yeah, it is this funny thing about, uh, I guess it's a fear that, Oh my God, if, if they become popular, then I won't have the, the option that ch- the number of choices I do for passive speakers, mm. you know, and I, uh, so, but the cho- the choices. <laughs> I mean,
0: I could I could never begin to list, even say, the top two hundred loudspeaker manufacturers <laughs> in the world. <laughs> no. Right? Which, and you think about what I've just said: the top two hundred loudspeaker manufacturers, right? Yeah. Because if you look at any other industry, in any other industry, like cameras, you wouldn't even get to twenty before you'd mm. be tailing off as mm. you know, top twenty camera manu- camera manufacturers. I don't know why I can't talk today. Um, but yeah. So, uh, do you? I mean. Do you see it that active speakers are becoming more and more prominent in the audiophile space, or is it just is it just that I'm choosing to review them, or you are, or is it is it a figment of our imagination? I don't know. Uh,
1: you know, I don't. I really, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure I can answer that without. I mean, my initial reaction to that statement is a lot of them have always been there. Uh, but have largely been ignored mm. manger is, is one very easy example yeah you know um and those are wonderful speakers and i know years ago adam audio who you know who's in the pro world but they came out with a, a whole line of active home audio oriented speakers which disappeared off the market within a few years if, if you recall i mean they kind of came in eh. i had a pair in Australia.
0: They were excellent.
1: Yeah, I heard a pair at a show, but... Oh, and then <laughs> you saw this announcement, uh, T-Doll and uh, Bugatti. Mm. Have you, you know, that new... That, they've joined forces to create a, a Bugatti-branded speaker, and those are active speakers, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, the
0: way I see active speakers is, is that the audiophile is this kind of weird ghetto bubble that exists sort of very, it's, it's, it's very separated from the mainstream. And I see, you know, products like key three or carefellas 50 wireless mm. or bootcarts as sort of the bridge that connects the audio file world to the mainstream. Because if you're, if let's say you're a dude who's, or a girl who's got some Sonos speakers, right? and then you go oh i wonder what's better than this mm-hmm. and then you look at the audiophile world and you th- you see oh i've got to buy separate speakers and a separate amp and a separate dac and a separate streamer and, uh, right. and connect them all together with cables you're going to go nah stuff that i'm sticking with my sonos but if you see ls50 wireless 2 or key 3 you'll be like oh okay so it's the same concept but just better you know what i mean like rather than having to sort of learn a new set of skills about system compilation and connection
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been on board with that approach for a while. You know, Dolly makes a, a line of active speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and partly I'm thinking there because they do make stand mounts. Dynaudio, you know, has yep. their wireless speakers. You know, I, and you know, on a personal note, I, that you, know, I kind of my preference is lean in that direction, and not uh, completely, but yeah, you know, I'm a fan of integrated amps and now streaming integrated amps Mm -hmm. because yeah i I mean the more boxes the less better for me (laughs) that's my so all right what about this is a question then do you think we're
0: moving towards fewer boxes as as a general rule or is that too much of a generalization
1: well i mean i jump on that to, to and agree to an extent that it strikes me that these preferences are also dem- are largely demographically driven, mm. you know, I mean, I've never, uh, <clears throat> our daughters who are both in their, let's say mid twenties, mm. uh, you know, all of, uh, all of their friends have some means of playing back music and, and none of them have any interest in boxes. And that's mm. just the way it goes. People I've grown up with who are not, you know, they have no interest in hi-fi. Also, you know, you just don't see them. And they all, you know, these people all grew up in that with boxes, and speakers, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But they're all done with that. So I think it's, yeah, it's in large part demographics. You know, because they're really, there's in terms of active speakers, you know, a pair of Dynaudios, Mangers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we're not talking about some compromised solution. Or the KEFs, you know.
0: Well, it, in fact, it's it's almost it's it. In many cases, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like the passive system is, you know, if it were to exist in equivalent, is the compromise solution because a passive crossover network, all other things being equal, isn't as good um, as an active crossover network. And that's not me saying that. I'm almost. I'm trying to actually quote what Andrew Jones told me mm. a couple of Munichs ago. Because I asked him this, and I was surprised. He, yeah, it was like, yeah, actives, all other, all other things being equal, tend to be better. Because I think you can you can dial in the crossover slopes more accurately, and the you can deal with all the phase issues that a passive crossover network gives you. Right? Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, I do think you know, for many audiophiles, uh, there is an element of like the master chef involved in putting together a system that mm. holds a lot of value for people like i made this i put this together i match this preamp with this amp with these speakers you know and it it be that process and that final result becomes something uh, very personal and very almost uh i mean you could see it online you know it's like how don't you dare criticize my my (laughs) hi-fi you
0: know well yeah i mean there's there are two things going on what you what you've just said i think is is number one the the number one argument i see against actives is i can't choose my amp i can't choose my dac right right? especially if they're dsp active speakers and most of them are Mm -hmm. i mean there are a few very few exceptions in the sort of the more popular models that is and then yeah. I think what you've just suggested is people's sort of egos and sense of identity are intertwined with their hi-fi system, which is, I think is a very vulnerable place to be emotionally, especially if you're, as you say, if you're going out online saying I've got this, this and this, Mm -hmm. and then somebody wades in going, that's a piece of shit. And they're (laughs) they're an arsehole for doing that. But then that's what causes the other, the original person to be, absolutely outraged you know and then this is where all these these shit fights start and mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean there's a great word that i can only attribute to this drummer called um tommy ego he has this concept called an, an ego boner have we <laughs> spoken about this before no. I can't remember. <laughs> right the ego boner right so i don't even have to explain what that means right <laughs> So basically his idea is that people, many people are posting online to give themselves
1: ego Um, bonus. Right.
0: (laughs) So let's say somebody comes into a forum, like what amp should I get with these passive speakers? Mm. Now, you know, first comment is like, you should get this amplifier and what, may or may not be explicitly stated is that's the amplifier that that person has right yeah so it, it's like an ego boner man, maneuver right and <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be using this word a lot in this podcast because because i think a lot of the online conversation is driven by ego boner mm. or you know the, the pursuit of ego boners so wanting to show off what you know what you've done you know, how the other thing over there isn't as good as what you've bought, right? Yeah. It, it's just this this reinforcement of one's ego seems to be um dependent upon how how much you can almost show off in a in an online discussion. And I, I think it's it's hmm. if it hasn't ruined it already, it is it is ruining it. It's poisoning the conversation because you can't have a conversation as you can at a hi-fi show without somebody coming in, trying to, you know, show off their ego boner, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> right? It's just, I'm sorry. It's the most unfortunate word, but I just don't know how else to put, you know, to, to express this. And because the audiophile world is 99% men and mm-hmm. 98% men over 40, mm-hmm. there's just this kind of this tension where everyone's got to show off how much better they are than than the next person, right? And I just yeah. think that it's kind of sad. And I'm saying all of this because I'm sorry, this is a bit of a ramble, but I'm saying all of this because I actually think that most of the online conversation is being waterboarded by these people who want to, you know, score points and get themselves an ego boner. I mean, like the number of people that I see online who point to Andrew Jones or Bruno Putzis and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me tell you where he's going wrong. Yes, <laughs> I mean is is it should be in a, a collective embarrassment for the hi-fi community online because I, I just don't even know where to begin with when i see people doing this thinking well you haven't brought a product to market how could you possibly <laughs> know what's involved with this but they're quite happy to say well you know i've had this on my workbench for you know three three weeks and let me tell you all the mistakes that andrew jones has made yeah. Or that Bruno Puss is made, and there's no concept of compromise because of you know bill of materials costs and things like that. So, as you can tell, I'm a little bit down on the <laughs> <laughs> on the online discussion sections of the, the in the audio world. I think it's
1: full of ego bonerism. <laughs> well, it's been. I, I mean, my experience, you know, uh, supports the ego boner. <laughs> Approach, especially because, um, as you just mentioned, you have like people like Andrew Jones. A lot of these commenters love to go after. I guess what I'll call the <laughs> biggest fish around. Yes. So mm. that's why you know certain certain comment sections on review sites, for example, you know, and I'll say it, stereophile you know, there are people that comment on almost every single thing posted on stereophile. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I believe it's the case because, you know, it's that you're, you're in the big pond, right? You know, you're in the, you're in the big pond and you're kind of, uh, perhaps there's a sense that, you know, people will view you in the, as being somewhat somehow associated in, in that, you know, playing on that level. So your comments all of a sudden take on a different kind of, for lack of a better word, gravitas than if you were posting on your grandmother's Facebook page, for example.
0: Right. Because essentially your comment is riding the coattails of stereophile success. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's great fun to go after, whether it be the the reviewer who's written a review or the manufacturer who's made the product under review, and point mm. out how, you know, it would have been so much better if the volume knob was on the other side, <laughs> you know. What I mean?
0: Yeah, but again, I think this is this is all this, oh, and yeah, I'd I'd say that all of this is driven by ego, all of it. I mean, why I don't know. Some people are so rude when pushed on these things and, you know, how dare you challenge my authority? Of course I know what I'm talking about, you know? And I, I what staggers me, what, yeah, what really causes personal disbelief is, is this sort of level of dunning Krugerism, where people mm. don't seem to doubt themselves at all, or, you know, they don't seem to challenge their own assumptions or <clears throat> as Dunning-Kruger explicitly states, they don't know what they don't know. mm mm-hmm. And yet, they're quite happy to sort of position themselves as, you know, more insightful or, you know, or more intelligent in term in audio terms than Bruno Putzis or Andrew Jones or, you know,
1: you know, just pick an engineer,
0: pick, you know, Ed Meitner, pick, you know, pick somebody.
1: Well, looping back uh, to this, I miss hi-fi show theme. One mm. of the things you know that occurs at a hi-fi show when you're speaking to people. As you can hear things, you can hear phrases like, oh, you know, I hadn't thought of that. Wow. That, you know, that's really interesting. And how would you then explain so-and-so? How many times have you ever seen that exchange occur in comments? Never. No, never. (laughs) It doesn't because everyone staked out their ground, you know, and, and that's that. So, yeah. I mean, I know I said I wanted to be positive. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well,
0: I was No, it was because this came, uh, mm. came up a, a bit last week. I was chatting to another um, YouTube guy about, you know, the review process, and he was struggling with his um, comment section and, you know, with the people on there being, mm. well, we know how they can be. And I, I was trying to explain to him how a lot of what you're seeing, A, isn't about you. And it's about that person's psychological makeup in the context of online, because most people face-to-face wouldn't dream of saying the things they say online, even if it's something as benign as, I can't believe they didn't put a USB socket on that DAC. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what what an amateur, you know, and that nobody would say that. I've never, I mean, I've had a couple of people ask me, I know I've mentioned this before, but. A couple of people have asked me, like, are people really rude to you in person, John? Hmm. At shows? I'm like, no, never. Just don't yeah. see it. And maybe that's because I'm two meters tall and I tower above most people, so they're <laughs> way too afraid to. I don't know. But Well, I, mean, I, could,
1: I, I could say as someone who's not, not quite that tall that, uh, that <laughs> people aren't rude to me either. Right. It's just it doesn't happen. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I, did, I did actually write down... I wrote down a sentence because I, I thought mm. it can encapsulates what I've just said in probably a far more articulate manner. And I wrote, "The internet conversation is being poisoned by know-it-alls who don't doubt themselves enough not to tell storied engineers that they are wrong." Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And I. So I guess what I'm saying is, is I love the in-person community, and I've I like you actually have missed it this year. Mm. Because, and, and even more so as the online community becomes more and more, I guess, tainted by, the, you know, know-it-alls chasing ego boners. Uh, I just, I despair. And I, I, mm. I kind of, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about Patreon quite a bit and I've got quite a nice little Patreon community developing now. It's It took a while, but mm-hmm. it took about six months. But the people on there are great, and I haven't encountered a single dick. Mainly because they're, you know, giving me you know, a few dollars a month to be there. Right. But those those guys are just awesome. They're just fantastic because they all want to be there, and they, you know, no one's. I mean, you wouldn't pay five bucks a month just to come and you know yell abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
1: somebody will now. I've said this, but um, yeah, absolutely. Give it. Just give it time. <laughs> give It'll probably it you, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I, I wanted to ask you. I mean, I, we've spoken a bit about active speakers and single boxes, and it's sort of in, inherent in those is, is is streaming. Yeah, and I know that there are different ways to connect a streaming device to your home network. And you and I had a discussion a couple of weeks ago about Chromecast mm-hmm. and how that is becoming increasingly common. And I'll pick two examples like the Premiere Prisma NP5 and the Bukat A500 loudspeakers, or rather the Platin hub that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Both of those devices and that NAD amp that you reviewed, yeah, they all, they all rely on Chromecast to, to some extent, not just for the streaming part, but for getting it onto your network. Right, and you and I have very different sort of views on Chromecast. <laughs> itself, <right? laughs> so, and um, you know, like because hmm. I, I don't mind it, although the privacy angle troubles me a little bit that you have to have a Google account to do this. Mm-hmm. That that bugs me. It really does. But I think apart from that, the ease of w- with which you can onboard a pair of speakers or a streamer or a streaming deck. I think he's absolutely superb. But you find it
1: a bit of a futz, don't you? A bit of a fiddle. Well, it it, it just, it's another layer. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it really is just another layer of technology when we already have um, competitive products in the same arena that don't require that layer. For example, Tidal Connect.
0: Uh, okay, so you're, yeah, but you're... Mm. That's a slightly different thing, though, isn't it? Because if I think about connect with the blue, let's say the blue sound streaming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like before I can get to Tidal Connect, I have to put my blue sound streamer onto my network. Yeah, and I I do that using the Blue OS app. Uh, unless you hardwire it. Unless you hardwire, but we're talking about Wi-Fi onboarding here, right? So, well, I am anyway. You Maybe- are <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mr. Hardwired, but I. Oh uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, with the um, premiere, I just uh, whacked an Ethernet cable in the back. Yeah, um, but I still did onboard it with Chromecast, I believe. And I, like you said, I wasn't too sure whether it was—is it now connected to Wi-Fi or is it now connected to Ethernet? But you can see it in the settings. But if we take a step back, though, most streaming products—what the way they work—is that. You pull up the app. It scans the network for the product, but that product is not on your network yet. But it can see that it's on a different subnet. And then what you have to, what the app asks you to do is like disconnect from your normal Wi-Fi, connect to the temporary Wi-Fi thing created by the product. Then
2: mm-hmm.
0: you inject your Wi-Fi credentials into that product, right? Yes. So it's got your username and password. So then it, it can independently connect to your Wi-Fi network. And then you use your phone app again to connect back to your Wi-Fi network, and then both things should be on the same you know, normal Wi-Fi network. And, and that is as convoluted as it sounds. And you can see that process quite starkly with things like the name gear, yeah, oral gear Right, gear. Um, to a lesser extent, Kef, Kef LSX are like that, but not the LS50 Wireless 2. Hmm. Um, and I think that from that onboarding, I don't think that's mom and dad friendly. Whereas I think Chromecast is because Chromecast does all of that sort of almost invisibly to the user.
1: Yeah. I guess if we're talking about mom and dad, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, the, yeah, clearly there's, you know, that I'll call it an information gap mm-hmm. exists. Mm. Uh, in other words, from very young ages you could hand either of our. if we got a new cable box when our daughters were were young and that thing showed up with the new remote they could immediately pick that remote up and do everything they wanted to do with that new cable box because Mm. the interface was common enough for them and they've used eight gazillion other interfaces that it was there was clearly no barrier to entry there whereas Mm. for me i'm like you know okay how do I? You know what? You know what I'm saying, and so you know for for that same generation to get a new pair of speakers and have to connect them to their Wi-Fi network, it, it's it's a non-issue. This is you know no barrier to entry whatsoever. I mean, they've everything they use, laptop, phone, blah blah blah. Everything has to connect to a wireless network,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know they're all using Spotify Connect for the. You know, in my experience. Uh, to a large extent, so all of this connectivity and how things connect, what they need to be connected to, is is second nature. But yeah, if you're talking about a generation of people who, all these things are still rel- relatively fresh and new. Mm. Yeah, I mean it can be a bit. Of, you, you're talking about having to read directions in order to do something. Mm. You know, and that can, you know, depending on who you are, can. Uh, be frustrating, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think that, I
0: mean, we talked about the online audiophile community's sort of not suspicion of active loudspeakers. I'm thinking mainly streaming loudspeakers now, the things that do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how much of it is because people are intimidated or afraid by afraid of modern technology catching them out because I know that I won't name the company. Mm. When they first introduced a streaming loudspeaker mm-hmm. four, four years ago, so you can maybe work it out who it is, mm. they were very worried about who they, which reviewers they sent it to. And to such a point that actually they insisted on sending a company representative to each reviewer's house to install these streaming loudspeakers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this is in Germany, because they just couldn't trust the reviewers to really know what they were doing when it came to onboarding or using the streaming functionality and things like that. And if you take reviewers as sort of like a, a microcosm of the larger community, I mean, certainly demographically, demographically, that's true. So I think, as I've said before, with most audio files or the majority of the community being 40 plus and male, there's <laughs> going to be a higher percentage of people who go, I don't get computers. I just mm-hmm. want to have like things that I can just connect with hardwired cables, and I empathise with that position. But if if those people were allowed to kind of control the audio world moving forward, we'd be we'd be locked into that passive speaker thing forever. Mm-hmm. And what I like is that what I like about streaming loudspeakers is that it's allowing a different kind of train of thought and a more youthful train of thought to. Um, to con- I guess, to continue and to grow. And that can cause some people to feel a little bit sort of left behind, if you know mm. what I mean. I, mean, I talked to my dad about this. And he's like, oh, you know, I don't understand much of this, this new stuff. And, you know, I'm 76 or whatever, you know, and I don't understand the world like I used to. Yeah. So that is that is a challenge. But and that's why I kind of like Chromecast because – I could give that to my dad and he could use it. Hmm. Um, And it wouldn't be as infuriating as say, yeah, I guess the Kef LSX onboarding or the Aurelic onboarding, Hmm. you you got to have your wits about you with that kind of stuff. So, sorry, I know we've kind of (laughs) taken a circuitous route, you know, into Chromecast now and then back in again. But um, what I'm saying, Michael, is basically because you're old, you should like crime,
1: <laughs> 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 and yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Well, I guess. It, well, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I d- once it's yeah, once it's set up, it's fine. But again, it's you know, I, I'm thinking specifically of, of of two different things. I'm thinking of title connected. I'm also thinking of room, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you. Were- you and I are both on the same page with both those things, aren't we? Yeah. But, the, you know, you – in a previous conversation, you had mentioned this, you know, reaching out beyond, you know, the the audiophile circle mm. uh, and who, who's got better hooks into that world. And that's a very obvious answer right there. Mm. Um, you know, but it is – in a networked audio, if we can call it that, even mm. with what we're saying, wireless speakers and things – can still present issues because many people aren't you don't know, want to think about anything to do with the computer network right you know I've certainly dealt with people, and this goes back a few years, but you know what that wanted to get into some kind of computer audio, some kind of network audio, and you know and I would ask if they had a router and they wouldn't know the answer to that question, yeah. You know, because their connection to the outside world uh, was provided by, you know, in many cases, their cable company. Mm-hmm. And the cable company came and installed everything, and they pay a monthly rent on some shitty router, you know, and they yeah. don't even know it's there or what it does. So then, I, you know, I also recall a company I won't mention whose first relatively inexpensive, we'll call it a network streamer. Uh, streaming product came to market and they were pretty overwhelmed and surprised at the amount of customer support that was required. Yes. Just get people to be able to use the product.
0: I actually spoke to another
1: one last week. Mm. And again, I'm not, I'm
0: sorry, this is not meant to be some kind of nefarious um, conspiracy. I just don't want to, I don't want to be naming people who, who haven't been given the opportunity to say no. So it's best to say no on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, Who was describing how they are just in the middle of bringing a streamer to market, an affordable one. Mm -hmm. And already they're seeing a number of people contacting their tech support saying it doesn't work. And then the next line is, well, everything else on my network works apart from your new streamer. So your new streamer must be broken. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a very – I understand why people say this, but it's also a very kind of dangerous assumption to make that, you know, the the network streamer doesn't need more than all of those other things, you know, in terms of bandwidth or resources or whatever. Or it could could be just a a compatibility issue. And because most network streamer manufacturers aren't Sonos and don't have the resources to test their product with every single – Wireless or wired router on the market because there must be hundreds. They're not going to buy them all in as Sonos might. Right. So you know they are going to come a- up against some routers that just plain refuse to talk to their product. And it's to say it's their fault is a bit of a long bow to draw, or it's a bit mm-hmm. of a it's a bit of a reflex, isn't it? Because most people who are making these snap judgments are unhappy because they bought something that doesn't do what the manufacturer said it would do. Mm-hmm. so they're they're looking to blame anybody but themselves, but you know, as you say, not everybody's a, a network expert, and therefore <laughs> not, not everybody is you know prepared to kind of go, well, hang on a minute, maybe I don't know as much about networking as I thought I did because again, mm. how many times have you heard that online never so <laughs> whereas if there was an you know an in- person consult or an over the phone people might go. Oh, yeah, I never thought that my router might not be compatible with my network streamer. I never realized that that might be a thing. Hmm. Um, That's the kind of um, self reflection that I think comes back to psychology again, doesn't it? Like that we don't really see enough of in these situations or these points of tension.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm thinking about two things. I did mention this before on my. I guess in writing one but mm. I do have I spent 18 years roughly uh in information technology and a number of those years I had a company and one of the things we did was install and support networks for small businesses mm. and some of those clients we also uh did that support went right to the desktop Mm-hmm. Um, And it, it's no exaggeration to say that troubleshooting problems in those environments, and these are, you know, like architectural firms and accounting firms, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have uh, a help desk and a user would call in and, you know, it's X, something's not working. And one of the first questions is, is your monitor powered on? Right. Is your computer powered on?
0: Mm. Is
1: there a cable running to the back? You know what I'm saying? And I guess it would be no exaggeration to say that more than 50% of the problems called in would be solved a few steps after those two questions.
0: (laughs) So this this is a bit like me with the cable in the back of my RME deck, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm I'm the person who didn't have their monitor turned on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, loose, I mean, I, loose yeah. cables. Believe me, or malfunctioning cables, mm. accounted for problems. Um, I mean, we. I'm trying. I mean, we saw. We were called in. Actually, this was a. Uh, we'll say a major financial institution in in New York, mm. uh, who was. Ha- they were having. Uh, performance problems on their network, on their trading floors. Mm. And uh, it turned out to be a cable problem. And I'm not, this that's uh, the truth of the matter. The purchasing agent, somebody had thought, I can save a shit ton of money if I buy these really cheap uh, Ethernet jumpers Mm. that would sit in the comm closet. And what happened was over time, just by them hanging the, the weight of themselves you know the cable just hanging ah. uh, all the connections became loose and it was creating noise on the network errors noise and it was bogging down the network and it was you know what I'm saying whatever that was a, I don't know that's an aside but yeah it networking problems and that's of course that same problem can exist in the home I mean if you mm. you know if you stick your your router and you and you run cables behind, you know, some wall unit that you shove as close to the wall as possible, and it's sitting next to baseboard heating. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, I mean, you could easily break a, you could easily uh, damage a connector so that data still passes, but it's bogging down your network because it's causing so many errors.
0: Yeah. I, I- I had a similar, well, not, yeah, kind of a similar issue a few years ago when I just moved in here because I didn't know how I was going to lay out my room. And I thought, I know, rather than run Ethernet cable everywhere, I'll go and buy some of those um, Ethernet over power or power over Ethernet, whatever they call it, adapters, right? I'll plug them in the wall Mm. and I'll use those to kind of make the big jumps in my apartment. And then about three or four months later, I started hearing this weird (laughs) when I was playing a record i'm like what the hell is going on and i it honestly it took me a month to work out it was these power over ethernet adapters interfering with my phono stage yeah um hmm. and, and it, i just pulled them out and they're in a box i've never used them again but yeah troubleshooting these problems i mean this is was not a case of me being a dumbass as my <laughs> RME but like I, I guess I, what I'm saying is everybody can be a dumbass at some point in some situation, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no matter how much you know, you can still make a mistake. And this is what I'm saying is like, we have to be cognizant of the fact that we don't know everything mm. and there is still unknowns to be discovered. And so, in you know, I know we made a joke about, well, I made a joke about the RME DAC, and you made a joke about experience matters. But now I've had that experience with the twist lock. Um, power cable which power cable connection which i've never seen before maybe next time if this comes up i'll go hmm i wonder if this is a twist lock <laughs> <solution."> right <laughs> yeah like, it's just experience tells you these things you cannot it can't, there's no substitute for it as, <laughs> as this last couple of days has, has shown <laughs> and i know yeah, i know it's a funny situation but i think this speaks a lot to the the mindset we must maintain when dealing with a lot of sort of technical gear and doubly so when we're dealing with networks um streaming media because that's that's another layer isn't it because you've got the hi-fi system riding on top of your data network right yeah but to bring it back to tidal connect Mm. one thing i I mean i know you and i we've infused about this um we'll say offline but you know away from this podcast Mm. is that it, it, I think it's just fantastic because you just have a streaming product and your phone, and there is no server in your house that you need. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think this is just wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, thinking about it in terms of, uh, I guess, getting back to this generational thing. Mm. I mean, if you had told me when I was even 20, yeah. that I could go buy a pair of speakers, plug them in, and within a few minutes have access to a couple million albums, I would have told you you were you were stoned, you know? Yeah. Because uh, there's no way. I mean, but that possibility, that actuality, is still to me somewhat mind-blowing. Mm. And, you know, for someone just starting out or someone who wants to add music somewhere, whatever the case may be, this proposition to me is about as, and I, I'll use the word, it's about as sexy as you can get. I mean, I, all I need is a pair of speakers, and i and I have access to this a tremendous library, and it's going to sound good. Yeah,
0: actually, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a um, a Blue Sound streamer for my dad for this very reason, because yeah. and hook him up with a Tidal account because he's a real jazz nut. Yeah, and so there's lo- there's loads of jazz, and there's like 50 billion versions of different recordings and whatever, you know, like you got count Basie at this venue and Count Basie at that venue. And then you've got John Coltrane here, yeah. there and everywhere. Right. But, but I know that, you know, once I've set this thing up for my dad, this blue sound on his net, on his home network, mm-hmm. if I just give him the title app and go, right, you've got an account you're off, just type in artists and start listening to stuff. He would, he, he will lose his mind in a good way. Like, yeah, he'll yeah. just be, you know, I think it's really cool, but I think, you know, Even 10 years ago, that idea of being able to give my dad a computer type or digital audio system for him to use for streaming and not be angry at it within 30 seconds (laughs) was was
1: unthinkable, (laughs) right? Absolutely, yeah. But I
0: think now we're kind of slowly reaching that maturation point of, you know, w- w- really on the software side. So with Rune, we'll, I won't bang on about Rune anymore because we've, mm. we've covered it, death, both you and I. Mm-hmm. But Tidal Connect is new. And so basically for people that don't know, Tidal Connect is like Spotify Connect for Tidal. Mm-hmm. So you just have, have the app and then you, you can pull up your streaming devices in your rack on the app and just go, right, send the stream, not to my phone, but to that device, and then off it goes. Um, I think that's just modern magic. I, I think it's so cool. And it's all CD, well, most of it is CD quality on the hi-fi tier, which I think is why we're excited about it, right? Because Spotify has been doing this for a long time.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, even though I spent a number of years focused on writing about computer audio, I am mm. still a huge fan of Simple for myself. Mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of, um, futzing when it comes to being able to just play my music but you know okay (laughs) i know i shouldn't do this to you but i'm gonna fuck it
0: (laughs) you can do it to me do you remember that time we had a phone call and you were telling me how you had optically isolated your network and i was going and i was going oh this really you've gone to this 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 length and i know you detailed it on audio stream sadly now defunct yeah um how you got these optical isolators, and you need this, and this. I just thought, no, this this sounds like and I could do it now, but I don't because it just sounds like so much hard work. I guess what I'm saying is everybody has their limit, and it may not be a consistent
1: limit. Sure, I agree completely, and of course, at that time, yeah, it was for audio streams. so I was about as deep as you could get in the world of <laughs> of that tweakery, um, mm. and in part, you know, I, I was just doing my job, John. It's yeah, well, no. Doing I, I, job. <laughs> 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 they no longer uh believe it or not are in in the barn those audio right. I'm sorry those uh fiber isolators but I mean I whatever. Uh I still do use uh an ethernet filter in between right. my hi-fi and my uh you know all the noisy stuff on the other side of it network stuff, yeah. Yeah, I bought a um a
0: Bonn uh audio file in inverted commas, uh, network router, which mm. just by saying those words, will have some listeners thumping the table, you know, w- with anger, because they are network en- network engineers. Mm-hmm. They can tell you from all of their many years experiences that yes. basically it's ones and zeros, it's all auto corrected. And this is just such a nonsense. Yes. But unfortunately, those people get so fixated on the data and because, they, you know, they're network engineers, That's, they shouldn't care about anything else, really, is that they lose sight of the noise that also travels along the same Ethernet cable and just hitches a ride into the network streamer and into the DAC and can also isn't the noise what causes the error correction to be engaged in the first place. Right. Because if you've got high signal to noise ratio on your Ethernet cable, which is a mixed signal system. So basically the analog representation of digital, if it's noisy, you're going to need to engage extra levels of error correction at your ethernet receiver,
1: right? Well, yeah, error correction is built into the protocol.
0: Yeah, right. But, right. But, but what I understand it to be is that it's not just that, is there are different levels, different levels of error, like different circuits that can be engaged to deal with noisier and noisier incoming signals or more erroneous incoming signals.
1: Well, yeah, I guess like anything, it depends on what's connected at each end. What are we talking about? I'm talking about the
0: ethernet receiver chip. So it will have like, Mm -hmm. the way I understand it, the way it's been explained to me is that it's not just a simple circuit where there's like one level of error correction always working. There are many different levels of error cor- correction that are engaged, depending upon how how thorough that error correction needs to be to get the job done.
1: Oh, I see. I think I I think I see what you're getting at. Yeah. So in other words, let's say uh, some errors <clears throat> over Ethernet are such that uh, the receiver asks for a retransmission.
0: Yes. Yeah. But if, if you if, you're, if the receiver is asking for many, many retransmissions because the signal is such a mess coming in, mm-hmm. it would need more and more circuitry to, or more and more, yeah more and more circuitry to do that.
1: Well it, it's going to stress that yeah, it's going to stress that uh, system. yes, on this on that side. And actually that was the case I referred to earlier in that it was actually in the comm closet where mm. these Ethernet cables uh, were hanging. And uh, the connections were becoming faulty, and so yeah, there were so many retransmissions happening that it was affecting network perf- overall network performance. Yeah, mm.
0: but that wouldn't happen in in a simple sort of end to end streaming situation. I'm sorry, I'm determined to get to the end of this so we don't lose it. But um, so basically, the, the harder the error correction circuit has to work, the more noise of its own that it generates, yeah. and that goes forward into the DAC. So you've not only got noise coming along the cable um, independently of the data, independently of the data, I'll say it again, independently of the data, just <laughs> yeah. so people go, well, the data gets there. Yes, I'm not talking about the data. The data absolutely gets there. It's fully error corrected. There is no issue with the data with Ethernet, mm. but it's, it's the noise that piggybacks along the cable and goes into all it, into the the subsequent hardware. And I've had this explained to me by Nuno from Inuit's, um garth from audio quest uh a little bit by um andrew jenkins at um antipodes audio in new zealand Mm. but of course these guys are experts and i guess this comes back to you know the guys on forums going well they don't know what they're talking about because i know more right Mm. Uh, (laughs) i mean personally i'm i'm far more inclined to believe an expert like Garth from AudioQuest, but <laughs> some dude on the forum who says he's an idiot. Well,
1: but, uh, yeah, to me, you know, I certainly spent way too much time uh, trying to, I mean, it was ne- it was arguing, frankly. I mean, it was mm. never any kind of uh, calm communication, but with, and mostly these you know, with network people, uh, back when I reviewed things like Ethernet cables, Mm. You know, or or would talk about noise, um, and the thing of it is, um, I've you know, back in that in the old days when I had the company, I we employed many network engineers. I mean, I probably mm-hmm. have interviewed over a hundred network engineers in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm, these people are foreign to me and what their skill set is. Mm. Uh, and their knowledge base, but not as far as I know, none of them spent a good chunk of their life also designing analog circuits, mm. uh, let alone mixed signal systems, which you referred to. Mm. And I actually had conversations with some of these people, and one comment that was made by someone I'm not going to mention, but it's like, who? Why are we talking about analog all of a sudden when we're talking about digital audio? And my response was digital to analog converter. (laughs) I was like, "There, you can't. It's 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 a mixed signal system. In Mm. that there, it comes in digital and it leaves analog. So if you want to ignore the fact that there's an analog signal and just talk about the realm of digital, and you know, I can have errors and still print out uh, a word document." that's fine but but you know i don't know what that's like you know i'd love to be able to think of an analogy um you know whatever well the the word the word document and the print
0: job um doesn't that that kind of analogy doesn't work for digital audio a because digital audio is real time so it's time sensitive whereas the print job could be buffered for three seconds before it proceeds right it could it can pause and continue or it yeah. can slow I mean, down and speed up. And same with file transfers. But an audio stream can't do that.
1: I, yeah, I've also seen the argument, though, that there are some DAX out there that, that do buffer data. And mm. also then if you say, oh, we also reclock our data. So we buffer, we reclock. And you could make the argument that any errors, if you're still thinking in the digital realm, Right, any errors that can be passed are going to be solved yeah. there. But it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about noise, electrical noise.
0: Right, that, because if, even if the data does get um, buffered and reclocked, and, it, and let's assume that nothing is lost and no errors are made, right? Yeah. Still, you've still got the noise issue coming along the USB cable into the DAC and then further along into the system, right? It's like, it's like mm-hmm. there's two things going on. And it's very hard to talk to people who are fixated on the data yeah, because it's not just the data that's the problem here, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, even the notion of data. We uh, back in the audio stream, I published a, a conversation between uh, Charlie Hanson, Gordon Rankin, and Steve Silverman. The mm. title of which was "There's No Such Thing as Digital." <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and but, essentially, that was the topic of conversation, and, and they went on, to explain. Uh, you know, Charlie and Gordon, to a large extent, what that means and why it's the case. Mm. and That got so much hate mail, you know, from people saying, oh, you're just trying to uh, uh, kind of like baffle people with bullshit so they buy your expensive stuff. You know what I mean? That was
0: the- yeah, you've, you've mentioned, you've triggered me now, because basically that's essentially a conspiracy theory. It is, and, yeah, and so when people meet with ideas that don't fit their sort of very fixed view of the world, they'll invent a conspiracy the- theory <laughs> rather than accept that there may actually be more to a subject than they previously thought, mm. and that can extend to things like, and actually, this is a quite an interesting one, isn't it? Like, like, oh, well, Gordon Rankin is clearly lying about Jitter because he wants to sell more dragonflies, yes, through the West, right mm-hmm. now. You have to really think of, I, I, I have thought about this, you know, like what that really means when, when somebody says that, and that means is that that guy has studied digital audio for years and years and years, invented asynchronous USB for audio, mm-hmm. and then thought, fuck it all. <coughs> I'm just, I'm just going to chase the big dollar. I'm going to make up a bunch of stuff to make people buy my product. I'm going to throw away all the science that I've learned and just keep it bare bones, or sorry, re- refuse the bare bones, simple argument that is just ones and zeros, just so that I can sell more product.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, potentially ruin my reputation and career uh, and get rich by selling something that costs seventy nine dollars retail. Right. So right. how much is? Yeah, and you know whatever. Gordon, being the designer, probably walks away with what. Fraction of that, but yeah. Yeah. So if he sold, you know, fifty million of them, fifty million of them, yeah, maybe, you know. (laughs) But this is what you know blows my mind about people who will say or or even
0: suggest these things. You know, like I know they've done it to Bruno putz's and I asked him about jitter electrical Mm. noise. Is it real? Yeah, absolutely. And it was a pointed question because I keep hearing this that these, you know, DAC manufacturers are making up these these bogeymen just to sell more product. But again, are we really suggesting that Bruno Pusses, who's invented what UCD um, amplifiers and Hypex and now has gone on to produce Eigentact, mm. will also simultaneously lie about digital audio just because it's financially convenient for him <laughs> and, and then have his company do the same. And then also, this is the, these are the ramifications, right? Have journalists do the same, like baffle the journalists so they they repeat all this supposed um, pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole... The whole chain from the top, right from the designer all the way through to the consumer, is one great lie with not a single person stepping out and going, <laughs> the with this. It, it's, you know, like nobody's stepping out and blowing the whistle, basically. Right. It's Just when people say things like this, like, you know, these people are lying to sell more gear, I don't think that they've thought about the real implications of that idea and what that means for everything else that goes on. Because it's just fantasy to think that all of these other things must be true. You know, like engineers lying, everybody at the company lying. Hmm. Um,
1: Distributors, lie. dealers. Yeah, all everyone
0: in the supply chain and then reviewers as well, all lying just to keep this notion that digital audio is ones and zeros in place. It's, you know, you look at what has to be true for that other thing to be true and you go, nah. It's just, no, it's not possible. And this is why, again, and I've said this so many times this year, it's why I trust in these people that design products because they're the experts as far as I'm concerned because they've brought a product to market. They've designed something. They've said it does this, and they've said it kind of tackles this and this. And we should remain healthily skeptical. But a lot of people have good to you know, run with that Skepticism and and it's mutated into cynicism that just mm. generates conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, and again those conspiracy theories are leading to the poisoning of the online discussion. Sorry, I wasn't going to bring you know I wasn't going to go there,
1: <laughs> but you, you, you triggered me, man. So. It was I know it's my fault. I- I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's, I yeah. I laid out the breadcrumbs, and, and you really did. <laughs> you, know, you put the
0: ball <laughs> on the tee, and I just whacked it. Oh man, it just it drives me crazy. The conspiracy theories are the cancer of the internet, and in no matter what it is we're talking about, right? It's not just audio. It's politics. Uh, it's yeah.
1: Politics, you know, like yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, at least uh, uh, in this country it's not limited to the it's not even contained in the internet conspiracy th- conspiracy theories mm. um have run rampant throughout our political system which i don't want to talk about <laughs> i did read i did read an article
0: this week about how some members of the flat earth society i think are trying to crowdfund a trip to the the edge, edge of the world or the North Pole. Seriously, they are trying to get there. Um, they're crowdfunding this so they can see the edge of the world for themselves. You know, It's just inventing stuff that you can't possibly know about. And, and I've said all this stuff before, but basically we have to inherit knowledge. We can't personally be rediscovering gravity or nuclear physics for ourselves. You know, in our own lifetime, we have to rely on receive knowledge so that we can move forward in our lives, right? That is what pushes society forward. Sometimes it makes mistakes, of course. But generally, like, I think Ricky Gervais said this, like if mm. if you were to burn all the books tomorrow, right? Every mm. single book on the planet and the internet, gone, all books. He said over time, those science books would be rewritten as they currently exist. You know, over <laughs> right. time, because the science hasn't fundamentally changed on the planet, right? Mm. Mm um and maybe there'll be a few kind of differences here and there but they would come back the same he also said something about religious texts that they wouldn't come back at all but that's not my point here Mm. but i I think it was yeah that's a really interesting way of thinking about things um anyway i've i think we've gone way off track again haven't we that's my fault (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Like it's the end of the year. and I'm just kind of thinking about all these things that, um, yeah, I've been, on, I've been on my mind. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't really frequent forums or Facebook groups anymore. I may be occasional Facebook group and I've tend to find Facebook groups are a little bit better behaved. Um, mm, just yeah, a little,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I have to say I've, uh, essentially sworn off forums, but that happened well over a year ago. Mm. And, uh, and I'll and I don't, there's nothing I miss. Right. Yeah. I
0: guess if you want to have a conversation with somebody about hi-fi, I mean, I guess, you know, we can talk or you can, I mean, you've got friends in New York you talk to and, you know, I guess you can get that
1: from, you know, real people. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I still certainly get emails from readers. Mm. You know, there, I do sometimes get comments uh, on our Instagram account or Facebook or mm. even messages, you know. Uh, but those, by and large, are, are what I would say your normal kind of conversations. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just really, just, you know, your normal welcome exchange yeah i guess
0: i I, yeah since i closed off youtube comments and went to email only i i've had i had a couple of pissy emails when i turned off the comments but since then it's like yeah it's i think maybe i've had one out of 200 um yeah one one unpleasant email in 200 very normal you know well socialized human beings they just chatting about things and wanting to know more. And sometimes I don't have the time for that, but Mm. when I do, I try and, you know, give back to that, but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'm I'm much happier, not having to deal with with YouTube comments and Mm. dealing with the people that actually are receptive to the the things I say, you know, and not everybody agrees all the time. Like there are people say like, I don't agree with you, but, but whatever. I'm like, yeah, this is the right attitude to have because I don't <laughs> agree with a lot of people. Like you and I don't agree about Chromecast, but I'm not like stamping my feet saying you should see it my way. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like, <it's>, I know. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a bit of a bit of banter. I mean, uh, I guess if you said to me, "Oh, you know, I really love you know thirty thousand dollar turntables," I say, "Good for you," but uh, it doesn't float my boat. And I think this is where almost well almost where we came in is that hmm. just because you like one thing doesn't mean that i can't do the other thing that i like um you know like they're, they're not mutually exclusive your love of theoretical love of 30 grand turntables <laughs> isn't, isn't taking away from my you know my fetishizing my rme adi2 fs stack <laughs> right
1: right. so it's just yeah yeah but i do right which i think also touches on that that idea of this uh, this you know the the curator in in the oniophile that puts together a system mm-hmm. uh, and has a, has a certain amount of pride in it and it's and its performance and that can create an edgy god i was going to use a really bad curse that could create an edgy person when it comes right. to discussing other options oh have you tried this no i you know that thing is an overpriced piece of junk because, you know, I spent less and my thing's clearly better.
0: Well, I guess if you've, yeah, if you've maxed out your budget and you've already spent it and you're committed, I guess it would be human nature for you to defend your choices. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the way in which people defend their choices. They, I think they go f- way uh, over and above in kind of trying trying to say, well, instead of saying, yeah, actually, you might be right, that might be better. But some people, because of their fragile Fragile ego can't admit that they can't go. Oh, maybe I didn't buy the best thing, you know, the best DAC for this particular mm. uh, amplifier speaker combo. But that's okay because I made a choice and I like it. So it's it's the fear of making a mistake, and also this is worse actually: the fear of missing out, the fear of not owning that other thing that might be better.
1: Yeah, you know, so much of uh, of uh, what we're touching on is falls into around. Out, well outside of my expertise in that psychology. Yes, yes. You know, but mm-hmm. I'm reminded, I'll try to make it a brief story. When we were kids, my grandparents always went to Florida for X amount of time in the winter. So we would go and spend a couple of weeks. And one of the things my father would do, load us into the car, and it, it was near enough to uh, Palm Beach that he would take us for a drive along the ocean road in Palm Beach, essentially to see all the big houses. Mm -hmm. And the game was, you could only pick one. So on the drive, you had to pick one house that was your favorite. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was every year. It was a ritual. (laughs) One year, a friend of mine came with us uh, to the trip to Florida. We drove to Palm Beach. We're ready to play the game. And he refused to play Hmm. because he was so offended by... I mean his reaction was very emotional and we, and he was angry that mm. we were spending time looking at all these rich people's houses. It just mm. rubbed him the wrong way. He just didn't think this was right and he didn't find any uh, entertainment or pleasure in the notion that you could pick your favorites and so you know to to my and that always stuck with me. And that is how, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, we react to things, uh, it, not on a, on a rational basis. <laughs> right. We, we, we but, instead of having a a mental reaction, we have an emotional reaction. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's ex- what we are speaking of with the you know how some people react in the world of hi fi. It's an, it's completely an emotional reaction. But a lot mm. of times, it's it, it, they try to dress it up in, you know, fake. Uh, I'm a network engineer, clothing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, you're right because the the ego.
0: I, I again, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I would guess that is the emotional side of the spectrum, right? If you've got mental on one side and mm. emotional on the other, I think the ego would yeah. lean towards the emotional side. But I think some people can't deal or don't see. Oggling things that they could never own or never buy mm-hmm. as fun so I, because i'll give you an example like I, mm-hmm. I now watch a lot of youtube videos about cameras and mm-hmm. i do it for two, two reasons actually I, I like to see the way the youtube videos are put together mm-hmm. but also i just like looking at expensive cameras going i wonder what that looks like i wonder what that can do you know i'm never going to buy any of them mm-hmm. but it's just fun to see what's possible and to see what excites other people who are experts in that field in the camera field i get a kick out of seeing people genuinely excited about something that they love right or if they make a joke about it or you know and not when it's fake because you can always spot the fakers you know somebody who's Mm. faking their enthusiasm you can see it but and it does exist and i don't i don't get a kick out of that at all Mm. but i just i just like seeing other stuff and the way other people view those things right
1: yeah i do the same in other in way too many other areas of interest Mm. you know for example uh books you know i used to collect books and Mm. i still like to see what's out there and you know what people are are after these days and the mm. same with art and even the same with some things like shoes, mm. you know, you could, or jeans. I mean, you could spend, you know, over a thousand dollars on a pair of uh, old man talk blue jeans.
0: <laughs> you know, I would do that if I didn't have like enormously long legs, I can't get excited <laughs> about jeans like you can, because, you know, because <laughs> our proportions are different. And so <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I literally have to buy like the uh what am I, 36 inside leg so no 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 kind of like really amazing luxury jean manifesto <laughs> goes beyond 34 right so i'm i'm am locked out of that argument or that discussion but shoes Ooh. i'm in shoes yeah. I'm, I'm i'm really in yeah I, I like i'm i'm fascinated by all the shoes that kind of get advertised on the internet and trying to work out are these just like pieces of shit made somewhere else in the world and they're pretending to be Italian or are they actually Italian handmade shoes?
1: Right. And that, you know, for me, this, it, it's all a, a part of the same thing for me. Mm. Uh, you know, when I look at a pair of handmade boots, work boots, cause that's my thing, but work boots that are made in the U S by a company that's been around since the late 1800s. And they still produce these boots in the same physical plant as they did when they first opened and it's the grandson of the founder who's running the company today and Mm. you know i mean like trickers for those you know uk people oh let's see i was just looking at your
0: website trying to find your christmas guide of gift guide because you had mentioned a boot company in there and i did go looking at their website thinking do I want to spend 500 euros on a pair of boots? <laughs> yeah, maybe white
1: boots. yeah, maybe I do because they, they look amazing. Yeah, well, um, they are amazing. I can vouch right. for it. I sold five pair of shitty boots that I owned, uh, mm. uh, which got me enough money to buy a pair of those white boots. You know, so to me, but again, you know, so I value these things, you know, the history of the company, the way they're made. Mm. everything about them even the fact that they got their start outfitting loggers you know mm. you know they were they were truly work boots and they made different boots for different you know for uh, people who fought forest fires and loggers blah 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 blah. all that I mean you know resonates with me and mm. that uh, absolutely carries over into my interest in hi-fi mm. you know i'm not I think I wrote about this recently, you know, like the thing that gets me excited isn't the cheapest DAC that uses a certain ESS chip. Mm -hmm. That's not what drives me. You know, Mm. what drives me is uh, a lot of times the story and the people behind the products. I mean, it's something I can sink my, my teeth into. See, this is interesting, isn't
0: it? Because again, psychology, because you and I are probably more motivi- motivated or interested in stories. Mm. But then again, almost everything in the world that we look at is a story, even though we might pretend or try and kid ourselves that it's not. So let's say I'm a measurement guy, right? Let's say mm. all I care about is how a DAC or an amplifier measures. Mm. I'm still being seduced by the story that all i need to know about is those measurements <laughs> well yeah right it's it's still uh, it's still an idea if you know what i mean it's it's not some kind of um, absolute mm. truth it's just your or in this case it would be my truth right so everybody's working from their own truth now i got to be careful here because obviously there are subjective truths and objective truths and the, the, where, where the two intersect, we get into some sticky territory. But when it comes to measurements, like if you talk to the average forum goer who's really into measurements, he'll say that this is all you need to know. But mm. again, if you go to the experts, so the guys that design products, and I, I make a point of asking every single one that I talk to, is like, do measurements give you the entire picture when you're de- developing a product? and they say no it gets us like 90 percent of the way there you know it gets us into the end zone is what ken ball said mm. and then from there we have to listen so the the message is no they don't give you the entire picture so you know there's always five or ten percent missing that mm. needs to be listened for if you like so that's their truth right now i guess if they're telling me that story as i've said before i'm more inclined to believe them because they have greater experience in that field than probably anybody I know on the planet, actually. You know, if I'm talking to somebody like Bruno Putzis, I don't know who else I can talk to who knows about <laughs> <Right. my> amplifier <laughs> design than him. You know, it ain't going to be some, you know, dude on a forum. It's just not. But mm. yeah, like, I, I think stories are very important. Well, advertisers know this people who are trying to sell us know that we're more likely to buy something because of a story than just the bare cold facts about a product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, that does, you know, there's a potential, uh, God, I don't even want to say downside, uh, but there, you know, clearly there's I, what I'm thinking of. I'll just say it, um, this time of year, mm-hmm. uh, All of a sudden, you see, uh, at least here, you see a lot of perfume commercials Mm -hmm. because it it is the time of year. And what fascinates me about perfume commercials is they rarely, if ever, try to tell you what this thing smells like. They don't go there. They're selling you completely on the brand and Mm -hmm. the lifestyle that uh, comes along with buying this perfume, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And that's all there is to it. So I suppose if you're so wrapped up in, in just story, you can be swayed by a story that, is said that, that has no connection to the product and what it's mm-hmm. going to do. And you know what I, t- like to my mind, I say, who cares? That's fine. Go buy your perfume. I mean, I, I don't feel like I've ever been in a position that I need to regulate how other people choose to spend their, their disposable income. That thought does not cross my mind. I don't look at someone driving a certain car and saying, "What an idiot! They could have got a a Jetta," <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, which is just as good for like one tenth of the cost, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, <'Cause> it's not <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, but it's it is that it is that mentality. Unfortunately, to me, that pollutes so much of this, have uh, a lack of a better word, this objectivist point of view. That mm. like. Uh, nobody needs anything better than this for any reason whatsoever. You know, all anybody needs is this DAC. And if you buy something that's more expensive, you're wasting money. And, you know, they should bring back the guillotine for people like you. <laughs> you, know, it's
0: like, you know, I, find, yeah, because like I've got a very good wine store right in, in the next building to my house. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe I've described, uh, explained this before, but. Like I can go in there and spend twelve euros on a very good bottle of red wine, mm. but I can also spend thirty five. And to say that the twelve euro is, you know, just as good as a thirty five in the, the, the spe- specific two that I'm thinking of, don't mention mm. the name, I've got no idea. But I know which ones they are in the store. Like the twelve is nowhere near as tasty as the thirty five. Not even, <laughs> not even close. Now, of course, like people go, well, it's not three times as good. Well, like, yeah, if you have to put numbers, <laughs> right. numbers on this, it's kind of it's, it's spoiling the fun a little bit. Like I drink the thirty-five dollar bottle of wine, and I just think this is absolutely delicious. And then, I, then I go back to the twelve and go, oh, this is not as good. It's not as good as <laughs> I remember. It, right? So, like hearing in hi-fi terms, hearing something better is makes it very hard to return mm. something lesser. And I use those terms better and lesser in very sort of loose in a loose way because obviously there is no best and there is no worse. But mm. but I think people who say, are oh, you know, that guy's an idiot because he bought those 50 grand speakers when he could have had just as good a result for ten are usually trying to rationalise their own spending because there's no way they could afford the 50 but they probably could afford the 10. So the 10 is like, well, that's where the sensible money sits because that's what I did. And of course I'm sensible. Again, it comes back to the ego and psychology. This is just people, as you say, or suggesting, trying to justify their own behavior by behaving like um, the, the traffic cop or the traffic warden of other people's spending, which I think is actually arrogant and a little bit offensive. Because, as you say, I couldn't give a shit what other people spend
1: their, you know, their money on, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, there's no, uh, there's, uh, uh, there's no rationale t- to my mind in in this approach where one can think uh, it makes perfect sense to dictate other people's spending. In other words, like that drive down, uh, mm. uh, down the down the beach road in Palm Beach, I could have sat in the back seat and said. What an asshole! Look at that idiot. They probably mm-hmm. spent fifty million on that house, you know, and and they could have spent sixteen on on their house just like we did.
0: Yeah, they're idiots because if they lived two streets back from the uh, the seafront, they would have saved like. million and they'd only have to walk
1: 50 yards to the ocean, right? Yeah. And just think of the house they could have gotten Kansas, (laughs) you know, because inherent in that approach is the person doing the judging has to to lop off reasons for any of these choices. They Mm. have to discount reasons um, to make their argument make sense. Well, that house has this. Well, well, that doesn't matter. You don't need that. Oh, well, that house has a view. Of the, oh, nobody needs a view. Of the, you know what I'm saying? To the point of absurdity, really. And it's this that same mindset it, it's certainly the case in hi-fi. I mean, as strict strictest subjectivist, you know, uh, I, I mean, have, work from this mindset. And I say, well, you know, what about speakers that offer different finish options that, and some cost more? mm. Like, should that be, uh, should that be outlawed? <laughs> you know, should people not be allowed to do that because they're being coerced into spending more money on something that has nothing to do with sound reproduction? <laughs> you, know, it's like...
0: you know, Michael, when, when I see somebody who, who kind of refers to themselves as like, I'm an objectivist, mm. that's a, an immediate red flag for me because that says to me that they probably, probably um, see the world in a very black and white way is that, mm. well, I'm an objectivist and you, John, must be a subjectivist because I've seen your videos. Or <laughs> your, <laughs> right? So it's black and white, it's objectivist or subjectivist. I I mean, th- and the dude might not know, that actually I do have a sort of a passing interest in measurements. I do find them quite interesting. I do want to learn more about them, but he wouldn't know that and it takes effort to know that and it takes effort to ask me about that Mm. so it's much easier and faster for him to go well i'm an objectivist and you're a subjectivist now when i'm presenting that situation well how can we possibly have a conversation when you see the world this other person in such black and white terms it's like well you've got a windows pc and i've got a mac (laughs) you're obviously a mac hater well (laughs) it's no actually you know like i mean And for me personally, like I I do have a Windows, a very nice Windows laptop, which I never use for one very piss-poor minor reason Mm. in that the Explorer won't sort files and folders a certain way that Finder does. And Mm. that is the only reason, actually, which is I really need to look at myself. But I like both for different reasons. And most people in the world are like this, right? Most people are fairly rational and they – they sort of have a grey opinion of most things like i mean if you take i don't know iPhones and android phones this is a good mm. you see a lot of discussions online about you're an android hater mm. you're a apple fanboy you know all this kind of black and white objectivist subjectivist thinking where people are painted into corners because they can't really deal with the amount of greyness in that conversation because that makes to admit that level of gray or to to admit that there is gray even existing means to kind of accept the fact that the world is extremely complicated people's tastes are extremely complicated mm. their viewpoints are extremely complicated and i as an individual cannot personally rationalize any of it now i'm okay with not understanding any of it but some people <coughs> excuse me sorry some people real have real problems with this, right? They, they find it very overwhelming to look at the world and go, I just, I mean, maybe my, my dad goes through this, but I don't know what his reactions mm. are to things, but you know, some people go through this, this way of looking at the world and go, I just don't understand it. So I'm going to have to simplify it. And the way they simplify it is to categorize people, um, in extreme positions. Mm-hmm. So. I'm an objectivist, you're a subjectivist. Now, to me, that says more about the person making those claims than it does it about anything being discussed. And I can't talk to people who like say, I'm a this and you're a that, or well, even I'm just I'm a this because you're a that is implied, isn't it? Really? Mm. Or like I'm I'm an objectivist says that well, all I care about is measurements. So and my my next question would be was. Well, don't you listen to gear at all, or aren't you a little bit curious as to how these things sound? Like, mm. Would you not want to get that product that you love or hate even into your house? And this whole idea of love and hate, and for and against, and you know, and I think social media—I know I sound like—and again, like an old man you at a know, cloud—but social media has pushed people into these sort of polar positions, and the middle ground is just lost because the middle ground is full of nuance, subtleties. And complexity, and people can't deal with that complexity, and it's much easier, and it's, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a lazy position to take to kind of just see the world in terms of this or that, A versus B, black and white. It drives me crazy.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking of a very recent uh, uh, comment I saw on an audio website.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and essentially, uh, I'm certainly paraphrasing, mm. uh, and it was this old, this old discussion about if it sounds good but measures bad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And somebody made the comment, uh, you know, if it, if it sounds good to me, oh, no, I'm sorry. If it sounds good and then something to the effect of um, then I don't care what the measurements look like. Mm-hmm. And someone came on and, and, and corrected that person and said, what you said is almost fine, but you have to add, it sounds good to me. And, and, and then you could say, and that's just fine. And, and to my mind, and I actually responded to the comment, I said, to me isn't necessary because sounds good is, is a subjective statement. Well, it's implicit in in the in the person making the statement in the words being used, yeah. Yes. And, and so I typed out, "This tastes really good to, to me." me. <laughs> <laughs> like, but here is the thing with that. See, and that triggered this thought in my mind with with these most uh, the most passionate of uh, the object the objective approach. You have to be, we have to be uh, very careful about what we say, even down to adding things like, this sounds really good to me, Mm. whereas you could just say the word measurement, and that's all that needs to be said. You don't have to say, boy, that DAC measures this way with this, oh, what was the test equipment used? When's the last time it was calibrated? What were you measuring for? What's your lab Mm. environment like? Can you show me how much noise you're getting just out of your, your AC? (laughs) Yeah. You don't have, we don't have to go there. If we're objectivists, if some guy says, you know, that thing measured poorly, it's like, there you go. It's crap. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, we can't even say that's good and it be left alone. We need to, we need to, uh, with, with, I'm losing the word, but you know what I'm saying. We need to justify that statement mm. or further clarify by saying to me. Whereas if you use the measurement words, that's like you, you know, you hear "ta-da" in the background. It's like, oh, okay, never mind. It measured. It was measured. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a guy. There's a guy I like. He does
0: loudspeaker reviews, um and he, he he includes lots of measurements. And actually, I really like his articles, and he relates hmm. the sound to the measurements, and mm. it's it's it's. Informative to me,
1: (laughs) Um. (laughs) I find it informative. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and also, yeah, I think. Then I'm not sure I want to dig into this one. I simply would mention that Hmm. clearly, the interpretation of measurements is purely subjective. And then, though, uh, I you know that's that's you know that's that's a, a given, and as far as I'm concerned. And then we have this next step, and that step is, and I'll use stereophile because they are such a good example, mm-hmm. reviewers are not privy to measurement results when they write a review. Mm-hmm. They only get to see those measurements re- results after they've written their review, right. come what may, okay? Mm-hmm. That's not the case for everybody out there that does measurements. So there are some sites that begin with measurements. And then they'll make comments about how something sounds, and it, it's fascinating to me that someone who who presents themselves as being an objective, taking an objective approach, will handle something in the poorest scientific method known to man, and that is pre-biasing themselves with what they believe to be. The truth, that i.e. the measurement, and it's how easy is it to measure something, and then say, ah, see, it sounds just like I thought it would based on the measurements. What,
0: what I guess what baffles me about that approach, and I've I've seen articles like this, and I've seen dudes who are very measurement focused, and and I understand, I, I, I get it. You know, you see value in measurements. More power to you. But what I, f- I find a I guess a little bit troubling is that you know if you if you put so much stock in measurements if they're so crucial then and they and let's assume that it, you're saying that they tell you everything you need to know about an audio product yeah right <sighs> then why bother listening at all yeah exactly what you know if if you can you know, if you can go, well, see, I can hear it. I can measure, I can measure that treble peak and I can hear that treble peak. So why listen? Why not just measure it
1: and say there's a treble peak? Yeah. And be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I think, well, who? Knows? I don't want to get into that, what I was going to say, because it's pure psychology. And then of course, there's the real world, right? Which we mm. all ideally live in, which is to say, uh, you can measure whatever you want. I don't care what it is, if it's a loudspeaker, if it's an amplifier or whatever. Mm. And you can make claims about this loudspeaker, performance and pass judgment on that loudspeaker, right? Let's say whatever. You stick that loudspeaker in somebody's room, in their system, and your measurements, guess what? They all flew out the window because you have mm. no idea what the measured response of that speaker is going to be in that room with that equipment. End of story, all of the anomalies you may have seen with that speaker when you measured it or with that amplifier when you measured it in isolation could not even appear in the in-room measured response of a system. Mm. And we all listen to systems in rooms and we all have our preferences when it comes to Mm -hmm. what we want to hear, you know, which, you know. Whatever, but this idea that you can measure something in isolation and that holds more value than the experience of hearing it in a room in a system is those. I'm sorry, never the twain shall meet. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going to read you a quote which I've just found on the net. This is
0: from Doug Schneider at Soundstage because he's been ramping up the measurements that he's been doing on Soundstage this year, which I think is really cool because mm. if you're into measurements. Then you're going to find a lot of meat on there to kind of, that would really tickle your fancy. Sure. But, but in the introduction, I'll read you this, right? He's in the introduction to We're Doing More Measurement at Soundstage. Is this, as we found out in the 25 years we've been publishing, although there is broad consensus in the engineering and scientific communities about which measurements are valuable, how that measuring should be perf- performed, and what good and bad measurement outcomes look like in terms of well engineered, technically proficient products there's little consensus about how that translates to what we hear especially when the differences in measured performance are minute Mm. and i thought that was brilliant because i thought yeah you've nailed it like this uh, this is exactly how this dovetails into what manufacturers tell me right Mm. is that we measure it to a point but then we have to listen Right. So that, because they haven't gotten a great consensus, you know, people like uh, Klaus Heinz at head audio here in Berlin telling me, I still don't know what measurements to take mm. to measure dynamics. Like mm. I've got, I, I don't know. You could you tell me, but I've been doing this for 40 years. I've, I've been, I <laughs> still don't know because there is this lack of consensus. People don't know. Mm. And what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get to here is, is that where I kind of sort of come and stuck with measurements is when people try and connect the measurements To an audible outcome, right? Like I can understand people being into measurements because that's what they're into. That's where they place their value. Mm -hmm. But it's where they try to begin to draw a long bow by going, "Well, this thing means that we will hear this thing." Now, that may be the case for some things, for the basics, right? But as we know, the we you and I deal well—not just you and I, listeners. Mm -hmm. We all deal in very subtle deltas, especially if we're comparing streamers or DACs or even amplifiers to a lesser extent. Mm. We're not talking about the sort of like the the, the, the core 60% performance. The differences that we're, we are interested in lay in the top 5% or maybe top 10%. And as far as the, what, I th- mm. what I see, mm. what Doug sees is that measurements ca- can't go there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: right they don't they don't go that far and if they did if they covered everything then we come back to what i said before is that well then why bother listening at all why not review on measurements manufacture based on measurements and why don't consumers just buy based on measurements done right, right? <laughs> because if you know if, if that is true then that's what you know if, if measurements told us a hundred percent of what we could expect to hear then there's no point listening at any stage until we're actually playing music in our house.
1: Right. Well, uh, right. And and 10 times out of 10, that experience won't mimic any measurements you've ever seen. So it's, you know what I'm saying? It's just like. Oh yeah. Because you're putting
0: different pieces of gear
1: together. And which, it's in a room. It's going to yeah, yeah. mess with, yeah. the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I had made a statement at some point and um, it seems to me to relate to what we're saying in terms mm. of o- attitude and approach. And that is to say that the most important decision makers in hi-fi are the manufacturer are made by the manufacturer and the consumer. Yes. And, um, and I, I think that's relatively indisputable. However, everything we've been discussing in terms of measurements and objectivists, they want mm. to insert themselves in between. Hmm. The manufacturer and the consumer, and become an arbiter. But isn't that what we do? You and I. I? D- I don't see it that way. I mean, because you know, and here's the thing. I mean, if if you read, uh, since you know, since you name me. <laughs> oh, hang on. I, I, I'm not saying that I see it that way. I'm
0: just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. I- no,
1: I get it. No, I get it. You know, I've I've certainly heard that. But uh, but if you read what we write. Mm. you'll see that that's not the case. You know, I've never written, "If, if, if you're going to buy an amplifier and you don't buy this amplifier, you're an idiot. Or this is the only speaker to consider if you're going to spend this much money. Or if, you know, this is the DAC to buy, if you don't own this DAC, you'll never hear music this good. So, what you're talking about here
0: is a very extreme value judgment placed upon findings.
1: It's an approach and an attitude, yeah, as well. Because, you know, there's, there's certainly an approach one can take as a reviewer that, that posits the reviewer as the be-all, end-all expert and final judge of what is best. And I mean that. What is best? And I've never gone there. I've stayed away from that. I've made fun of it. I've talked about how there is no such thing as a best in hi-fi and on and on and on. So, yeah, a lot of the staunchest objectivists object to to a reviewer uh, based on a cartoon character of what they believe reviewers do and how readers react to what reviewers write. Does this come back to black and white thinking again? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's this assumption that if I say, boy, I really enjoyed this DAC, and Mm. yeah, I compared it to this one, and I preferred it for these reasons because it did this to my experience of listening to music, somehow Mm. some people think – that will send now an army of zombies to the store <laughs> to yeah. buy that thing. We, you know and, and oh my God, wait, it doesn't measure well. So you've just sent an army of mindless zombies out to buy something that's a piece of crap just because and it's life it, shit doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. You know it's not in the language I use. it's not you know it, it's just not the case. It's not what I do. <laughs> I,
0: I guess where it comes from, maybe. Is this very and I'll have to. For me, it's an outdated notion of, you know, what we do as being some kind of consumer watchdog. Not a what? No, no, that's not the right, right word. Like um, consumer I, reports. Yeah, that's that's the magazine you have in the US, and I think in the UK it's called Which. Hmm. Um, but basically, somebody who is, you know, trying to find the best deals, the best, yeah. Best gear, or the things you should buy, or ge- basically give consumer advice. Yes, and, you know when I started out, I think I was on on board with that, and over over the years, especially in the last five, I have backed away from it because I realize, uh, you know, I've come to realize that the extent of what I don't know, like the the the, the, <laughs> the, the percentage of what I don't know versus what I do know, has become larger the more the more years i've put into sort of writing and covering hi-fi gear mm. which which makes sense right sure because the, more, the more you do something the more you realize you don't actually know it all and you kind of have to back off from those fairly extreme positions that you started with or idealistic positions and i think this is the you know where people are very new to a certain pursuit they have some very fixed ideas and it's only through many many thousands of hours of doing it, do they realize, oh, hang on a minute. I actually realise I don't know anything. And this is true of life, isn't it? Because when you're 15, you think you know everything, you think you've got it all worked out and you get to 50 and you go, you never in your life. Have you been filled with so much doubt about what, you know, how you see the world. This is the thing about the world is complicated and you realize just how complex it is. And that's what fills you full of fear. And that's what drives some people into black and white thinking oh, this goes all the way around and comes back to full circle, doesn't it? But, but yeah, but I I understand what you mean is that, yeah, I mean, I'm not
1: interested in telling people what to buy. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, I think there's two, uh, uh, there's two thoughts in my head. I might skip the one, but, but, (laughs) but uh, to my mind, that um, uh, point of view that I was just describing that, yes, the, the reviewers we send out, you know, Based on our words, people do things. And mm. that's an influencer. You know, uh, that's an influencer to to the nth degree. Mm. What's, what's said is acted upon. And that's not the I, – I, hopefully, I don't come across that way because that's not how I want to come across as that kind of influencer at all. And I never have and I never will. But I do find it interesting that those objectivists, that's exactly what they want to be. They want to measure something and they want to publish these results. And they want to say, if you buy this thing, you're a fucking idiot.
0: Or if you buy this thing, you're super sensible and this is the best thing you should buy.
1: It's, it, and it's it's that black and white, to use your words. It's that black and white.
0: But the thing is that eliminates all the, all the gray in the middle. Like, what does this thing look like?
1: Yeah. Like, how, how expensive is it? Right. Will, well, that's where life exists in the middle, right. in yeah. the gray area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life exists in the gray, and it's
0: complicated, and it's daunting, which is why I probably get so many emails about, like, I don't really know which one of these things to buy. When really, in my job, and I, this has probably the, been the, my strongest message in my videos in the last last year, is that I want you to go and not buy this, but go and investigate it. And if you, you know if it's not available to you then obviously don't and go and investigate something else but mm. or go and investigate this idea but it's basically I'm tr- what I'm trying to promote is action. And that action t- isn't really about buying stuff it's about trying things out or thinking or considering a new point of view. Yeah. Right yeah yeah yeah. It's not just it's not a, like this mindless oh this thing is great you should go to the store right now and buy it. That's the last thing on my mind because who am I to tell somebody what to buy? And this is this is this is where my kind of humility kicks in. I'm like, kind of, hmm. I don't know anybody
1: well enough to tell them what they should buy. Right, but we right, but you've read, we've all read, and I, I think they're becoming more a thing in the past. But I absolutely remember reading reviews that literally would say things like, "Run, don't walk to your nearest dealer." <laughs> oh, I've written that in the past. I've, yeah. I've written, run, I've written run to
0: this just as a an ending. I have. I've done it. I don't. I I, I guess I I can think. I remember the product. It was a. It was an eighty euro spit of board, a hat board for a (laughs) So I thought it's eighty euros, and it's kind of cheap, and most people could, you know, run to this because I thought it it was such a a revelation for me. Yeah, I I take your point. That's probably not the.
1: But that's more of a metaphor. Yeah, that's a metaphor. That's not a literal call to action. Well, no, so the reviews I'm thinking of, they were. They were like, run, don't walk to and get this thing. Like, you've just mm-hmm. got to go get this because this thing is it. And, yeah, it's just like I always just, uh, you know, that never appealed to me. And the writers that I appreciate and enjoy, I guess to get back to other themes we've been discussing, are storytellers like Herb uh, Reichert and yes. kind of clearly like Art Dudley, are yeah. storytellers that rarely uh, – uh, um suggest action on your part, right? They mm. they rarely demand that you run, don't walk to your nearest dealer. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? mm. To do such so, to buy such and such a thing. Because it's the furthest thing from, from that gray area of life and mm. storytelling and how how we attach meaning to things and how we accrue knowledge and on and on and on. You know, that's where the like the meat and potatoes uh of my for me that's where interest resides and passion Mm. and things like that so
0: yeah because of yeah i mean i think it's interesting you said that that's where life exists in that sort of gray area where we have to consider more than just measured responses you know from a audio precision because you know we don't I mean, I've said this many times, but like, what we look at changes the way we feel. And I know you would connect with this because you're you're an artist. Mm. So obviously, to look—I mean, I'm looking at a pair of Kef LS50 Meta right now, and I've got the blue mm. ones on the blue stands, right. and I think they look really smart. Yeah. And previously, they were on black stands that were not matching stands, and so my enjoyment of these speakers has been enhanced. Yeah. Just by yeah. Getting matched. Matching colored stand. Now you might say, Oh, that makes you really superficial, John. Well, actually, you know, no, because like I don't, I, I would, you, you choose your furniture to sort of have some kind of cohesive aesthetic, or well, most people do, right? And most, well, yeah. Not, not everybody. I realize <laughs> that some people have no aesthetic um, eye or, or interest whatsoever. Or, yeah, or interest. Yeah. yeah, that's also okay. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're talking about is when. Somebody doesn't have an aesthetic eye, and then calls somebody an idiot for having an aesthetic eye for things. Right? You're you're an idiot. You spent like
1: three hundred bucks <laughs> on those things. Right? <laughs> yes. <But it's> when <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Calling people out for things that you yourself don't value, and I think it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think what we're talking about here is how objectionable
0: it is to see one person try and police somebody else's behaviour. Mm, yeah that's the core of it isn't it really and i think that's yeah that is also i, I think that's ego boner territory <laughs> yeah for sure the biggest of them all right it's like you're an idiot because you bought that or you're an idiot if you buy that or you're an idiot if you listen to mqa i'm sorry i mentioned it <laughs> but <gasps> don't, you, don't you know it's lost you're an idiot if you don't know it's lost <laughs> yeah. you know like, this, like why would you well i got cobas. like look at me i'm all pure like and i understand if you value like normal i call it normal high res or just like non-mqa high res mm-hmm. good for you right yes. right you enjoy yourself and i'm never going to take anything away from you but the moment you start poo-pooing somebody else's choice in what they prefer in the way that they have made their decision then you be, immediately in my book you're an asshole yeah, like, where, right. where would you shit on their worlds? like what right. what what motivates you to do that apart from it gives you an ego boner.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly would, I guess, before we close out, let echo that uh, sentiment that you expressed. And that is, um, you know, while I guess I could certainly come across as sounding anti-measurement. I, I, I'm not anti-measure in any way, shape, or form. And for those people who, uh, and there are many, and, I, you know, of course, wh- I, I guess what I really just want to say is that, I don't have any issues with how people choose to spend their time and what pleasure they take in things that the the problems come when people cross the line into, for, you know, I'll keep it personal into my space, you know, that, that's when a problem begins. Oh, you know, you're an idiot for buying that DAC. You're an idiot for doing, you know, there's no need for that. And if, if those steps were never crossed, uh, you know, it becomes a happy place. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know
0: whether you're trying to say this, but I'll, I mean, I, I, like I said before, I mean, I do find measurements really, really interesting and I'm f- fully respectful of the people who are really, really into them. Yeah. Like, good. Yeah, so- people, but where I get a little bit agitated is when I see people using measurements as a stick to beat mm. people who are not into them or don't yeah. see them you right and that's where that's where i'm kind of like no this is not okay and this is where i kind of go fuck off because you've 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 crossed over you've stepped out of you know the fun the fun circle and you've decided that you've got some higher truth and you're going to punish other people who don't
1: see or share your higher truth yeah, it's the measurement inquisitors that I object to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so much for being a
0: positive pod- podcast. Hey, <laughs> but we didn't mention the c words, which is really good. So that's um, right. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko. And Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.